Hello, everyone. This is Brad Thomas with The Ground Up, and I'm back again with another CEO interview. And today I am with Sumit Roy. Sumit is the CEO of the monthly dividend company, or referred to as Realty Income, ticker symbol O. And Sumit, it's good to see you today. Very nice to see you as well, Brad. Great. Well, uh, we've got a lot to talk about here. In fact, uh, we got some really transformational news that we, of course, reported on recently uh, in that uh, Realty Income is merging with Verite uh, to form a uh, very large company, I think 50 billion, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so now moving up to, I think, the sixth largest, I think, uh, REIT uh, in the coverage in, their, in our cover in the world, frankly, or in the coverage spectrum, of course. So Sumit, congratulations on that announcement. And uh, I wanted, if we could dive into that a little bit here, um, you know, I've again reported on the company, but uh, we're seeing uh, 10 cents uh, accretion or 10% accretion, uh, sorry, 10% accretion with this portfolio. It's an all stock deal likely to close, I think in the fourth quarter or something like that. So uh, in terms of let's, I want to talk about, I guess, in terms of the scale, the, the synergies that are going to come together with these two companies, uh, you know, how do you see that benefiting invest investors and, and really translating into that accretion? Yeah, thank you for that question, Brad. Um, yes, that's the, that's the big news for us, along with what I might add uh, was uh, a very good first quarter results that we posted uh, yesterday. Um, so with, specifically with respect to the Varied merger, um, it does create economic benefits day one. And that was very key to doing this transaction. And like you correctly pointed out, it's north of 10% uh, uh, immediate value creation. So that's the first benefit that the shareholders will, will be able to enjoy um, um, of, of, this, of this particular merger. The second is continued increase in size and scale. And by that, I mean, look, we. we Somebody would make the argument that a $32 billion company, $33 billion company, you already have that. But I can't continue to emphasize how big and fragmented the net lease market is. And Brad, you've been, you were an investor, you've been following this, you've, you've been a developer. So you know what I'm talking about. And when you keep adding new markets to the mix, the potential size of the investable net lease market just continues to grow. And, and, you know, we feel like here in the US, it's fairly, um, um, you know, uh, fragmented in terms of the number of institutionally owned net lease versus non-institutionally owned net lease uh, uh, assets. And that um, equation is exacerbated in Europe, multiple folds. I mean, it is even more, uh, um, you know, uh, less institutionally owned and, and, and therefore creates the right opportunities, et cetera. And so um, there are obviously certain verticals that we, we, we call them the preferred verticals with certain operators that we want to continue to do business with. And, you know, adding and becoming a $50 billion company, I do believe gives us additional capacity to continue to grow in, in our most favored uh, in industrial verticals. Um, and also the fact that we do believe that the scale benefits of a larger platform will also be a value creator for, for our shareholders going forward. Today, for every dollar of rent we collect, 94 cents drops to EBITDA. We hope to improve on that. And you know, the immediate uh, uh, cost synergies will be on the GNA side. 
We've talked about it being anywhere between 45 and $55 million. Um, and then on a cash basis, anywhere between 35 to $40 million in, uh, of, of immediate uh, um, synergies that we can see. And, and that should translate into more efficiency going forward. But the, but the biggest story here is the continued financing synergies that we, the, the, the platform that will emerge from this merger, will continue to benefit for the next 10 years. They have about $6.1, $6.2 billion of debt that will mature over the next 10 years, 11 years. Um, and uh, with our balance sheet, with our cost of debt, with our ratings, and our access to multiple markets where we could replace this particular uh, uh, debt uh, maturities, we believe we could create tremendous ongoing uh, uh, synergies and values uh, values for our um, for our shareholders. So those are some of the the, the main reasons as to why this was such an attractive um, you know uh, opportunity for us. Um, but none of this would have been possible had we not. Uh, a, a CEO like Glenn leading the other company, uh, who is uh, an absolute, you know, gentleman to deal with. And um, we, we saw immediately the value of the combined platform and the fact that he has a culture that he buys into and believes in, very similar to ours, I do believe will help in the next stage of this, which is the integration of, um, of, of the two companies. So um, we are very excited. We are very much looking forward to, to working towards closing this transaction and realizing some of the benefits that we've just talked about. Great, thank you, Suman. And I'll, I'll add to that, um, you know, we've been covering um, ARCP and then of course, Barry, and I will say Glenn has done an excellent job. We've reported on this. I actually sent Glenn a note this week. Um, he's done a fabulous job. The board just handpicked the guy, the right guy to navigate that company to a safe harbor, which it now is getting ready to enter uh, via the merger with Realty Income. So Glenn has done a great job there. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, touch on that diversification a little more. Um, I did see that in the new investor deck as a result of the merger, um, two of the top tenant, 10 tenants are no longer on that list. And remember, we had an interview about a year ago and we talked a lot about theaters on that interview. And of course, that's been the really big concern in that lease. Um, one of the biggest concerns in that lease through the pandemic is the theater sector. And AMC is still struggling. We just saw some, some news this week on that as well. But, but I did see that um, the two, top two theaters are now off the list. You obviously still have exposure uh, to, the, to those names. But uh, how do you feel about that? Well, that was part of the lessons learned. And we've talked about this before, Brad, that, um, look, we, we like the theater business. Um, we, we believe that the theater business is going to have a place um, as an ongoing industry going forward. There have been a lot of experiments tried. Uh, PVOD was tried. Streaming was tried. Only streaming. Simultaneous releases in both the theaters as well as streaming. And in all of those situations, you know, the answer is becoming clearer that uh, the theatrical release has a special place in big blockbuster movie releases. There's no question in my mind about that. When you look at Godzilla and Kong, it was simultaneously released on HBO Max and the theaters. In the first four days in the theater release, here in the US, it collected 49 million, which is not bad. 
And then if you look at worldwide, what they were able to do, they were able to do north of 380, 390 million dollars. It took two, almost 200 million dollars to make that movie. Mm-hmm. And without theaters, they cannot replicate that model doing it, you know, going streaming only or, or through HBO Max. And so um, we are pretty excited that the, that the model and the thesis that we have been believing in will play out. Will the rationalization occur, which again, you and I have spoken about? Yes. Do we need as many theaters? Probably not. But theaters as a business, and I do believe AMC and Regal, they're not out of the woods yet. AMC actually came out with something a little positive about a week and a half ago, where they said, we are not going to raise as much equity, given you know, the revenue streams that, that are starting to materialize. They are now fully opened uh, across the US. They still have a few shuttered um, assets in, in Canada, but largely open. And Regal said, by the middle of May, they're going to be fully open as well. And you're starting to see that uh, with the, 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 all of those blockbuster movies that have been held back are now, you know, have dates that are more near term that, that they would like to release. And with vaccination and the rollout of the vaccination being very successful, I would say here in the US, um, I do believe that, that you know, they're going to start to get on firmer grounds. And the fact that they didn't feel like they needed to continue to tap into the equity markets, uh, we read that as a good sign. Um, and, and so uh, I think that's trending in the right direction. But yes, one of the big advantages of doing this is we saw um, the complementary nature of their uh, industry exposure, varied industry exposure versus ours. And that is an added benefit. It allowed us to accelerate what we said was the optimal allocation to the theater business, which we've said is right around 3%. Pro forma, we'd be right at 3.8%. So it accelerates that move that we've that that we highlighted, um, you know, during some of our other calls and during my earnings calls, et cetera, as one of the lessons learned. Similarly, on the health and fitness, you know, it it, it allows that to drop from the seven percent to the five percent zip code, um, and on the positive side, it allows us to create more capacity on C stores, allows us to create more capacity on 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 grocery stores, some of the businesses that we really like, especially wanting to do repeat business with some of the operators that happen to be there uh, in those in those industries. Great. Well, I want to touch a little bit on your your acquisition, you know, guidance. Um, you know, there are some news today, and, and, and frankly, I have not looked at it in detail, but we cover Monmouth. Of course, one of Sam Zell's companies uh, is uh, seeking to acquire Monmouth, which is a large majority of FedEx and distribution, uh, you know, logistics properties. And the, the Landy family's done a great job, you know, with Monmouth over the years. Of course, the company's never cut a dividend, but they haven't increased it in a couple of years either. So uh, we look at both of those, both of those factors. But regardless of that, um, you know, you can still, what, let's talk about guidance. And then my, my really, my question is going to be, you know, you've got a bigger denominator. You're going to have a much bigger denominator here very shortly by the end of the year. Um, you know, what is, you mentioned the fragmentation. So I think I saw something in the deck, maybe that it was a big, a billion dollars, took a billion dollars of investable capital um, um, to, to create, you know, less than one or 1%, I think of, 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 of concentration risk. So can you touch on the, that factor as well as your, what your acquisition guidance is for 21? Sure. Um, so so that, that, that goes back to the scale comment that we were making, Brad, that, you know, even for a company of our size, if we were to have done a billion dollar sale lease back with a single operator, 
you know, we get to that two and a half percent immediately, which is still manageable, but, but it's not insignificant. It definitely puts it in the top 10. With the larger platform doing a billion dollars, won't even register uh, in our top 10. And that's the point, you know, and, and I'm sure you're aware of a few very large, say, leaseback opportunities that are being floated around. Uh, it just gives you more optionality. You know, you're no longer being constrained by size um, unless, you know, these, these say, leasebacks continue to be bigger and bigger and bigger, which, by the way, is what we expect. There is a maturation to this market. Uh, as, as you and I know, Brad, we've talked about this in the past. Investment grade credits, like, why should we do this? But now I think they understand that having a more efficient business model, having a more efficient balance sheet, these are, these are important for their overall valuation. They are not valued on their real estate own. They're valued on their operating business. And I think that is resonating. And, and so the, the opportunity set to be able to materialize upon is getting bigger. And that leads me to the second point, which is the acquisition guidance. Um, you know, coming into the year, we came out with the largest acquisition guidance that we've ever shared with the market, which is 3.25 billion, more than 3.25 billion. And people were like, wow, um, you know, that, that's, that's a big number. For us, it's not, you know, and that's the point we, we, we're trying to say. And that, look, anytime we've come up with a guidance number, we've, let's be honest, I mean, we've beaten it. Um, but so we are a very deliberate, conservative company. And that will always be part of our DNA. Um, but we had tremendous visibility coming into the year. And I spoke about this when we raised equity at the beginning of January. And then again, uh, yesterday during our earnings call, that, that, that visibility has continued. We, we did 20, almost 20 billion of sourcing in the first quarter, you know, 42% of which was in the, in, in the international markets in the UK. And so we are not afraid. I mean, these numbers may seem big to, to, to you know, folks who, who follow the smaller net lease companies and their whole year is made doing 700, $800 million of acquisition. We do that in a quarter. We did that in the fourth quarter of last year. We did it again in the first quarter of this year. And, you know, you can extrapolate. And, 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 and you know, we, 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 so we, we are not... We are not, uh, um, you know, afraid of these numbers. In fact, that's precisely the model that we have tried to create, which others will find very difficult to replicate, is to use our size and scale to create these new swim lanes for us so that we can continue to do things that is very difficult to replicate. And for us, you know, a billion today, I hope two years from now, three years from now, uh, a billion per quarter will become a billion to five, a billion and a half because of all these new lanes that we keep creating and new markets that we keep creating for ourselves. So we are super excited. These are exciting times for us, Brad. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna ask you a question on that. Um, you know, we've, we've been covering gaming now since really these companies, uh, Vici and MGMP listed. Um, and um, you've, you've stayed away from gaming. Um, one of your peers went into gaming, but they got out of gaming before they really got into gaming. Um, but is um, is that a is that a category that interests you or not? Seems like a lot of opportunity there. We like Vici. We we you know we we think that's an interesting space uh, subsector, I guess, of NetLease. What are your thoughts on the gaming world? Look, I, I I'm going to answer it um, slightly differently, Brad. If if uh, you can, you'll give me some latitude here um, because I don't want to talk specifics. 
The beauty of the NetLease business model is it is truly agnostic to the real estate asset type. You know, it's a structuring of the lease and understand and what makes this business difficult is that not only do you have to take a bet on a real estate, but you got to take a bet 20 years from today. What are the rents going to look like? How fungible is this real estate? Will this operator that you partner with last 20 years? Any disruption to any of that underwriting sort of compromises the, the, the efficiency of a, a net lease business model. And when you're exp exposed to like 53, 54 different industries like we are, and are tracking 600 different tenants and 600 different clients, you need a completely different model, which is what we've been able to perfect over time and which gives me confidence. And that's the reason why I am so confident that these numbers that seem staggering today, tomorrow, and I mean metaphorically speaking, tomorrow will be like, wow, they just found another way. They just found another way. And, and, these, and we want to bring our investors along with us. You know, we, we want them to understand our thesis, our, our, our explanation on all these questions that I just raised before answering the, this, this question in more detail. We want to share our thesis and bring along our investors, which is why I find this business so interesting. So for us, it's an opportunity, uh, that which is being pointed to as an impediment. Interesting. Well, you know, I remember when I heard of the Diageo deal back, what, I don't know, longer than 10 years ago, maybe, or something yeah. like that. Uh, maybe eight, yeah. Yeah. And it was a surprise to see Realty Income get into the, what I call the farming business, but, uh, but it, uh, it's really not, as you know, not really the farming business yeah. uh, per se, but um, that's proven to be a, uh, a really important, you know, asset for realty income, and um, you know, created a lot of value with that particular, that particular asset, that extension, if you will, into the net lease sector. So I, we've seen you do it before, and it was kind of a surprise at first, but now I've, I, I really see the value that's been created with the uh, with the farming piece. Um, um, so um, I want to kind of move over, if we could, zoom uh, it into really the balance sheet. You touched on the cost of capital, you know, A minus rating, the only net lease REIT with that rating and one of the few or so, dozen or so, you know, in our, in our coverage spectrum. Um, so how do you feel about with this merger, will that be any impact to your, to your rating or how do you, how do you feel about leverage, uh, you know, post merger with Very? Yeah, we, we want, definitely want to do this on a leverage neutral basis, Brad. We've spoken about this publicly. Um, that is very important to us. Um, we've clearly spoken with both S&P as well as Moody's, uh, walking them through the transaction and the math. Uh, I believe they've both come out, and Victoria, please correct me if I'm wrong, they've both come out and reaffirmed not only the rating, but the outlook as well of stable. Um, and um, so they buy into, you know, uh, all of the positives that we've, we've enumerated. Um, and they also are giving us some grace on our ability to integrate uh, a company of that size. And, and, and that is the next area of focus for us is to make sure um, that we are able to get the shareholder vote um, um, and, and that the shareholders actually support this transaction. That's obviously very, very important to us. But uh, assuming that that does um, um, you know, play out in a favorable manner during this time frame, making sure that we 
um, you know, we, we integrate in a way that is the realty income way, you know, bringing people on under our fold, uh, making them, you know, really embrace our, our PMVV, our purpose, mission, vision, value, and making sure that, you know, they understand what it is to be part of realty income. And we will do this with the utmost humility. Um, and, and that's the, that's the goal. Great. Um, I was, uh, I got a, I got a few years ago, I was meeting with your former CEO, Tom Lewis in San Diego. And Tom kept mentioning this book called the 21 immutable laws of marketing. Yeah. And I got back home and I decided to, to buy the book. And, um, it's really interesting book. It's short. It's a very short read, but I think the number two rule is something like if you can't be number one in a category, you know, be number one in a subcategory. So what I'm getting at here is, and what I see that 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 unfolding in our net lease, in this net lease sector, is realty income has clearly now become the dominant player, you know, in the you know, investment grade, high quality, high predictability, you know, tenant bucket. That is the number one player. But I'm also seeing there's a number, there's a number of those companies that are, that are obviously smaller, but they really fish in a different pond. They fish in the unit level sales pond and the, you know, long, these long uh, master lease ponds. So I'm referring to store and, and spirit and essential and, and some others. Um, so now they're trying to, you know, kind of differentiate themselves and say, okay, we're number, number one in this category. And I've actually pointed this out to one or two of the CEOs as well. I was like, don't, don't even think about realty income as a competitor. Cause you're not, you know, you're a, you're a, you're a different, you're a different bucket, be number one in this category. But I guess my question here to get around to all of this, assume it is, you know, I know you're not ready for another deal yet. You haven't closed this one, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, does realty income have the ability, you know, I'm thinking out long, I'm, you know, long and hard, long-term, do you feel like there are too many players in this universe? I think we counted, there's maybe 14 or 15 names in our coverage. And there's the small, you know, the, 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 micro, the micro small cap Alpine and all this other stuff, net, net street, Broadstone, not talking peers directly, not, not giving any guidance, anything. I'm just saying, do you feel like there are too many peers out there? I mean, there's a lot of players. And, and I, again, I know you're number one, you know, so, uh, but do you think there are too many players out there? Yeah. And, and, and Brad, we want to do things with passion. We want to do it our way. And if it leads us to a particular rank, great. We are not shooting for rankings. We are not shooting for size. That wasn't the impetus behind why we did what we did with Vary. Um we are always thinking about how do we create value for all of our constituents? How do we make this the best place to work? How do we create value for our shareholders? How do we give back to our community? That's what's driving our business. And the byproduct of staying true to that is all these numbers. And so for me, you know, the question around do we have too many players in the net lease space? I don't even spend time thinking about that. That is not important to me. I have already said it is a very fragmented market. There is enough for as many companies as, as there can be. And as, as long as you have shareholders who are supporting these micro strategies, you know, so be it. Let them be there. And we have to stay focused on what is the value proposition that we are bringing to the table. And let the shareholders decide. 
if the shareholders stop supporting some of these smaller names, I think by, by just, again, I'm sure, and these are excellent management teams, you know, they're going to figure out what's the right way to create value for our shareholders and for this platform. And if there is consolidation in the future, if that becomes the right answer, great. Great answer there, Sumit. And I, I want to touch on one last thing before I forget, the office. So you're spinning off the office. That's correct. Which based on my over, you know, uh, look at this, of this, of this uh, announcement, um, it should help your payout ratio, right? Because you typically, the office assets typically uh, expense differently than a traditional, you know, net lease asset because you have the CapEx and the lease, leasing commissions. And, and I know you've got long-term leases, but nonetheless, I would, I would think that taking your office assets into a new Spinco uh, would certainly make the payout ratio better or, or more defensive for the, for the core REIT portfolio. So can you touch on that office roll up a little bit and kind of what the, what the plans are for that? Yeah, the, the office spinoff was largely driven by the fact that, and we, this is no secret, we've said our two areas of focus amongst the main food groups happens to be retail and industrial. That's where we want to focus. Uh, one of the things that we did see um, with Varied is they had 17% of the portfolio in office. And we said, okay, we know that that's not a long-term hold for us. We, by the way, have a very small office piece, about 2% of our portfolio's office. Let's clean this out. By the way, there's nothing wrong with the office, single tenant office, long-term net leases. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not our core strategy. And, and, and I've said this in the call last week, and I think I might have even touched on it yesterday. There's a strategy that can be built around this office business that can take advantage of the macro, you know, out of favor nature of office sector. If people are willing to take a longer view and say, do we really think people are going to stop going to offices? Do we really think that staying from home, and as Francis was pointing out, listening to all of the construction work around you is, is going to become the norm? I, I am sure that this is going to, there will be lessons learned and a portion of the population will benefit from it. But is that going to completely supersede going to offices? I don't see that. I just don't see that. We. You know, you, you talked about going to play golf. We all are dying to meet people face-to-face, -face, share ideas around, you know, coffee tables. And, and there is value in that. That's how culture is developed. That's how you get through an organization where somebody could stand out. It's very difficult to do that when your little blogs on a screen, you know, go, starting off in your career. So I, I do feel like there's a, you know, if you can take a, a contrarian view, you can take advantage and really create a viable, singularly focused business. And we want to make sure that this Spinco has a, the appropriate bandwidth to be able to do that. We're not going to lever it up. We're going to give it the leverage capacity it needs to continue to grow, to reposition some of the assets. And, and um, you know, our goal is to find the right management team. Uh, to run this business, and and we are super excited. And so, to be clear, this will be uh, internally managed with a, another management company. You'll, there'll be no management 
overlap at all with, with the firm? There, there, there will be day one transitional services agreement, right. which of course, because it's going to be a, you know, a 2 billion plus minus company, uh, we're going to provide some services, which over time they'll wean off of. Right. Uh, but yes, it's going to be um, you know, internally managed by an independent management team, has its own set of board members, nothing to do with our board members. And uh, they're, going to, they're going to try to survive as, a, as an independent company. Great. Well, Sumit, I, uh, I guess I've always got to thin closing, close out on the dividend. And it's funny, it seems like every CEO I, I talk to that pays a quarterly dividend, I always ask the question, when are you going to pay monthly? But the good thing about a call with you is, I mean, I already know the answer. You are, you are the quintessential monthly dividend company. So we know you pay monthly. We know why you pay monthly. But we've talked about that quite a bit. And we know that you've done a, you've got a pretty darn good job of increasing the dividends. Um, I guess my big question though is is really will this size get you into other indexes? In other words, will will, will we see really the income uh, at maybe the top of the B and Q or the IR IR I Y R? Um, excuse me. Um, is that going to help get more you know visibility uh, with the name with this merger? I think so. We we haven't quantified, you know, uh, what that that um, uplift is going to look like. But, you know, certainly in the indexes that we happen to already be in, um, our allocation is going to be more because we're just going to be a larger company. Uh, we already have amongst the highest liquidity in the market. You know, it's it's not of $100 million, $120 million uh, that our shares trade. So I think that enhanced liquidity is also going to go a long way in getting us even more publicity. And, uh, and, and there is a chance that we might get added to, to new indices, but I, I, I don't know that. We haven't done the work, but the expectation is that that, that, that should play out. Okay, great. Uh, we saw Yellen yesterday, you know, talk about rising rates then pull back a little bit, obviously read some market pullback, the same sentiment there across the board, but, um, just a couple words, you know, obviously I've written about this, but it'd be great to hear from the CEO. Um, how, how do you think about de-risking your, your portfolio with terms of your leverage and so forth uh, when the investors come in and say, well, you know, don't you fear investing in realty income in a rising rate environment? How, how do you answer that investor? Yeah, I mean, which, you know, we used to be viewed as a bond, but I've never known a bond that continues to increase it's, uh, it's, it's payout you know, every year, in fact, every quarter. Um, and, and grow you know, the business every quarter, every year. Um, so uh, the fact that we are a real estate company, first and foremost, the fact that we have seen rising interest rates environments in the past, we have seen you know, cap rates follow suit. Yes, there's a bit of a lag. You know, we, we welcome those opportunities. The fact that we have access to multiple markets also gives us additional diversification. So what if the 10-year uh, is rising up here? What's happening in the UK? What's happening in Europe? They may be going the other way. And so the fact that we have product that we are bringing onto our balance sheet in so many different areas and the ability to finance and on a fully consolidated basis remain a very conservative business gives us just so many more avenues that we didn't have available to us even two years ago. Yeah. Well, listen, Suman, it's been great. Uh, you know, congratulations. You're, you're, you're recession proof. 
I think we can say now pandemic proof. We're not out. There's obviously a lot of people still struggling across yeah. the world, but obviously the recovery's underway. So yes, pandemic proof, recession proof. I know you're preparing for the next black swan. I know you very well. And I know you're already trying to figure out what is the next thing out there. Uh, and I think you've done, you and your team have done a great job at managing risk, um, which is inescapable in the words of Howard Marks. Um, so managing risk is what separates the best from the rest. And so great job at a great first quarter, getting through this pandemic and now with Vary, which again, makes you even more and more defensive. So uh, as your number one shareholder, um, not the biggest, but maybe the number one shareholder, uh, congratulations, keep up the good work. And again, thank you for your time today. Absolutely, it was my pleasure. Thank you for inviting us. And you touched on a very important point, which is our team. I am truly blessed with the people that I work with, who are my colleagues, who go to the trenches with me. I, I absolutely wouldn't be able to do anything without them. And so thank you for being a big supporter, Brad. And uh, stay safe and uh, look forward to speaking with you soon. Sounds good.